for the second session uh, in our series about the book of Acts of chapters 1 and 2, which kind of laid the foundation for the book of Acts. We'll be looking at Acts chapter 1, verse 24 through 26. So let's begin with some prayer today. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. So Lord, we welcome your presence to us. Holy Spirit, come, enlighten our hearts and minds with the Word of God, that we may be able to see with the eyes of our heart and hear with the ears of our heart what you want us to see and hear as we break open the scriptures today in the book of Acts. Lord, help us to see the power of prayer, uh, that we may be able to know through prayer a reliance upon your ability and not our own. We thank you, Lord, for that as we pray through Christ our Lord. Amen. So, um, we continue. Last week we've talked about the book of Acts as being the foundation for, uh, in terms of t showing us um, how the early church was expected to be a church that would move in the power of God's Spirit and move with authority. So today we'll be looking at the power of prayer, one of the key tools that they used to be able to move with power. Um, so anyway, so this is what we'll be looking at today. So let's take a look, Acts chapter 1, and we'll be looking at uh, verses 12 through 26. And this, of course, uh, will tell us about the upper room experience. So we begin first by saying the, uh, this, the apostles returned to Jerusalem from the hill called the Mount of Olives, Sabbath day's walk from the city. When they arrived, they went upstairs to the room where they were staying. Those present were Peter and John, James and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James the son of Alphaeus and Simon the Zealot and Judas son of James. They all joined together constantly in prayer along with the women and Mary the mother of Jesus with his brothers. So let's take a look at this, the first two verses, uh, actually first three verses. The upper room, where is the upper room? It could be Mary's house. It could be where the Last Supper was in Jerusalem. Um, so Luke does say it's the Mount of Olives. Uh, the apostles returned to Jerusalem from the hill called the Mount of Olives, a Sabbath day from the city. So we're not exactly sure where the upper room was per se, but it could be any of those places. Verse 13, notice that Luke has the 11 by pairs, um, which is symbol of the church. For example, he lists here um, Peter and John, and then he says James and Andrew, and then Philip and Thomas, and so on. So um, this, uh, Jesus in Luke chapter 10, verse 11, as well as Mark chapter 6, verse 7, he sent them out two by two, which is a symbol of the church. The emphasis there. Verse 14 they all joined together constantly in prayer along with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, with his brothers. Prayer together is uh, something very common in the book of Acts. Uh, Matthew 18, verse 20, Jesus talks about when two or more gather in my name. He talks about uh, praying by agreement of heart and mind. So uh, Luke also emphasizes women uh, along with the apostolic leaders of the church, which is not untypical of Luke. His, her, his gospel has a strong emphasis upon the, the role women played in ministry. But we also see in Luke chapter 2, when we get there, we'll see that when the Spirit was poured out, the sons and daughters would prophesy. So no longer prophecy was just by men, the point being that the Spirit was for all people. 
Uh, let's take a look at the presence of Mary, the mother of Jesus here. Uh, she was the first to receive the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, overshadowed, of course, at the uh, conception of Jesus. She also is there at Pentecost for the birth of the church. So here we see the conception of Jesus, the birth of Jesus. She was there, and then she's also there for the conception of the church as well, and the birth of the church. Mary, uh, in the Catechism of the Church, is called the New Eve. She's the mother of the whole Christ, as the Catechism calls it. She is with the Twelve at the dawn of the end time, end time meeting, not so much when Jesus comes back, but end time meeting, the Church is inaugurated with Pentecost. The Holy Spirit is there. St. John Paul II had a wonderful uh, uh, understanding of Mary, that when she was the mother of Jesus at the conception, she'd become the mother of the Son of God. And then we see at the foot of the cross, she's entrusted by to John as to the church, that here's, here's your uh, son, and, and to the son, John, here's your mother. So it was a new vocation, a new calling for Mary. And we find her at Pentecost, ready to receive a new outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Catechism goes on to state about Mary, this is uh, number 494, uh, the paragraph that is, Mary responds with obedience of faith. Behold, she says, I am the handmaid of the Lord, let it be done to me according to your word. She consents to God's word. She gives herself wholeheartedly to the Lord. Uh, she's without sin, uh, that no sin to restrain her at all. St. Irenaeus said of Mary that by obedience she became the cause of our salvation for herself and for the whole human race. So go on to now to verse uh, 15 um, in the book of Acts. In those days, Peter stood up among the believers, a group numbering about 120, and said, brothers and sisters, the scripture had to be fulfilled in which the Holy Spirit spoke long ago through David concerning Judas, who served as a guide for those who arrested Jesus. He was one of our number and shared in our ministry. So we see, first of all, Peter is clearly the leader of this group. And he announces the Holy Spirit speaks. He'll also do that on the day of Pentecost as well. And he says the, the scripture uh, had to be fulfilled. So he recognizes the authority of scripture in this case of, of uh, finding a fulfillment, a person that replaced Judas. Uh, if we go to look at verse, um, verse 20, we see where Peter says, It's written in the book of Psalms, May his place be deserted that there be no one to dwell in it, and may another take his place of leadership. There, uh, Peter sees in that psalm the fulfillment of Judas, who took his own life and betrayed Jesus. Verse 21, Therefore it's necessary to choose one of the men who, uh, who have been with us the whole time. The Lord Jesus was living among us, beginning from John's baptism to the time when Jesus was taken up from us. For one of these must become a witness with us, us of his resurrection. So some of the criteria here, you have the, the, the one that's going to fulfill Judas's role has to be a witness to the resurrection. Um, we also see where he has to be with Jesus all the time. So the method they used was casting lots, which was a typical one for choosing high priests to go into the temple. And the one they came up with was, was Matthias. Uh, so Messiah, Matthias becomes one of the twelve and that replaces Judas. So, um, what do we see in this? Um, 
we look at these verses in the balance of chapter 1 here. Fervent and persistent prayer is prominent in the book of Acts. Uh, The Catechism in 2618 states, The gospel reveals to us how Mary prays and intercedes in faith. At Cana, she asks her son to intervene. At the foot of the cross, she, she is the new Eve, also interceding at that point. Let's talk about prayer for a moment. Do we trust in the power of prayer? It's going to become prominent throughout the entire book of Acts how prayer is so critical to the movement of the church. We're tempted, I think, in many ways to trust in our own power. To um, The challenge is whether we can uh, live in such a way is that we're radically dependent and desperate for the power that only God can provide. In our culture, it's a real challenge because we are taught to rely on our own power to accomplish and get results. Innovation, skill, hard work, uh, these are things that we use to start a business, get a degree, climb a ladder to achieve our goals. Um, the, there's nothing wrong with any of that. Innovation, skill, hard work is commendable. The Bible speaks about it. Having high aspirations is good. Uh, the scripture commends that. But the deception is when we recognize or we, we think that the greatest asset is our ability. That's the deception right there. Um, that uh, what has been called uh, the American dream, a dream uh, by uh, defined, the term is defined by James uh, Truslow Adams in 1931. He says, it's a dream in which each man and each woman shall be able to attain to the full stature which they are innately capable and be recognized by others for what they are. That's the definition of American Dream by James Truslow's Adam. The gospel pictures something quite different than that, though. The gospel uh, pictures something this way, that we're to die to ourselves, to trust in God's power. The gospel confronts us with our own inability to accomplish anything of value apart from Jesus. Jesus said in John chapter 15, verse 7, uh, I am the vine, you are the branch. Apart from me, you can do nothing. So I think like we see in this chapter, the balance of this chapter, what would sustain uh, the movement and the growth of the early church in the book of Acts is the power of prayer. Uh, we're only looking at the first two chapters, but already we see where it'll be this dependency upon the Lord in prayer that will bring about the day of Pentecost that will forever change the face of the world as it gives birth to the church, the body of Jesus. So the question we want to ask of ourselves is, is do we trust in the power of God through prayer? And how is that measured in our life? Do we go to the Lord for circumstances and situations in which we recognize our need to be dependent on him uh, and we seek him through prayer? Uh, Again, there's nothing wrong with seeking out other avenues, but if we put our trust in our own ability as greater than anything else, then we are, according to the gospel, we're surely deceived. Uh, Rather, we recognize that God's greatest asset to us, the power of prayer, is something that we radically and desperately need that only he can provide, that will accomplish the things in our life that only he can do rather than our own abilities. So we take our abilities, we take our hard work, we take our skills, our innovation, and we submit them in the power of prayer.
uh, we recognize that it's uh, by his power that we're able to accomplish these things. So let's pray. Lord, we give you thanks and praise that um, you call us to be a people of prayer, a people who walk in prayer, a people who live in prayer. We ask you, Lord, to uh, free our hearts of a dependency and an innate dependency on our own abilities to accomplish the things we want to accomplish. Help us to, to die to ourselves, to trust in, in a radical way your power through prayer to achieve only what you can achieve through us and in us. And we pray this through Christ our Lord. Amen.